But what's been um, what's been really great about this is um, this is the first time I've really spoken in depth about a lot of these things and how everything is so connected. You know, when you chart it all out and plot it all out, it's like everything is connected. right here with Reem and OT on the Decan Show every Tuesday on all good podcatchers. That was it. That was it? That was it. Is there a starting point? No? Are we still stuck? Okay. So even this bit will go out in a book. It could or it could definitely Urban Life. What do you guys want? Neighborhood Banter. Pull up a seat and pass the time. <laughs> the Dukkan Show. Hosted by OT, Toothless, Urshad, and Reem. Welcome to the tribe. I'm happy, you know, I'm happy. And so, is it a company that you have? Like, is it. What's, what's the big dream in Dubai for you? Like, is it to establish a. A collective of people? Is it to establish the industry? Is it to, ha- you know, is it to go deeper into artist management or music or? I mean, you know, if, if I if I really into the artist, I'll, I'll and I've got time, then yeah, I'll, I'll I'll help people. I don't think I can take on any more artists now in terms of my management roster, yeah. and that's really not where I'm trying to go with it. Um, so, how many artists are you gonna? That I manage? Yeah. Just 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 uh, holophonic and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, I say yeah. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, if if I can be of assistance to a fledgling management company, and, and maybe maybe that will come. I, I never say never, you know. Yeah, maybe, of maybe that will come. You yeah, know, maybe that will come. Maybe that will be a string to the bow. But right now, I'm very busy. My, you know, in terms of there isn't really a big goal here. You know, I I, I moved here very very gradually. You know, okay. I, I came as a DJ. You know, in probably two thousand and seven, two thousand eight, pure fluke. I had a residency at a club in Belfast okay. in Northern Ireland and um, I used to DJ there once a month and the owner of that club was very good friends with one of my kind of sort of business partners now, Greg Dufton okay. uh, from Think um, we worked in Sundance together so he was a promoter mm-hmm. with Tim Derry um, at Cheetah Lodge yeah wow and, um, I haven't heard that one in a while. Yeah, so that, so they, that was the kind of club at the time. I mean, that was yeah, the one that, that was, was really, the place to be. That was the place, yeah. So so basically, they needed a very last minute stand in, a hip hop R and B DJ or whatever. And um, Greg called um, Steve, who's the owner of um, the club in Belfast, and said, "Can you recommend anyone?" And Steve said, "Dan's great. You know, he's just a good solid DJ. He'll rock a crowd. Give him a shout. Gave me a shout, and and said, Andy, do you want to play in like?" 48 hours and I'm fine let's do it why the hell not so let's just let's just go to Dubai so I went to Dubai DJ'd I did like I was meant to DJ one night ended up DJing two nights really in in the kind of R&B room at the back and kind of just took that kind of party flavour that I used to do everywhere that kind of just open format have fun hip hop R&B focused but playing a bit of everything and just kind of just rock the party and um, yeah and, and then I kind of they kind of asked me to come back again like maybe a month or two later so I came back again as a DJ. And then as time went on, you know, because I was pretty well connected in the music industry in the UK, they um, 
they needed help booking artists they were yeah. kind of getting ripped off or they didn't have access to artists that kind of I did now, I wasn't a talent booker I wasn't even a talent booker then I was you an just artist manager to be a connector, at a record I label I'd, but I knew a lot of the agents at the big yeah. agencies in the UK and you know some of my friends were big DJs and were on the roster of big artist agencies so I had so it was just a phone call away like hey can you help me up with so and so who manages or looks after so and so and I just kind of just it was just to help them out to be honest in, in, in Dubai to help them out gee and you know so I booked like the um, Basement Jacks and Groove Armada and Trevor Nelson wow. and then I booked a couple of friends like like guys who were like, like DJ Yoda who yeah. I do mm-hmm. a lot of work with so yeah. he's like a one of my oldest friends so he brought him over and then um, that was the libido yeah, 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 and stuff with him, and and um, Zane Lowe. I mean, yeah. Zane Lowe. I used to be on radio with back in the UK, and now he's, you know, at Beats One and doing amazing things. And he's a really good friend of mine. So I asked him to come out. So I kind of called in personal favors and yeah. then industry favors, and yeah. and they they were really knocking it out of the park. I mean, they were they were doing really good numbers at Chi, and it was the place to be. You know, that yeah. all the best events were there. <clears throat> and then they got a call from Atlantis to Palm and said, "Look, we really like what you're doing out there." Um, we want to start a beach festival can you come and talk to us I was still in London at that time I was still living in London um, so Greg and Tim went to see them and they had a chat about um, this kind of festival concept Greg and Tim I think Tim actually came up with the name Sandance and the okay. whole brand and everything he, they came up with the whole branding thing but it, it, essentially it was owned as a concept by um, by Atlantis the Palm and then so the, the talent booking you know I, I suddenly then went from having maybe Fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to spend on acts for big chi events to like then spending two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand, yeah. and I was then booking much bigger acts on a very regular basis for Sundance, and that's when re- it really started to kind of go crazy. And then they were doing like two, three, four Sundances a year, and we built up a lot of currency with with the agencies and the manage- managers in the mm. UK and US, and we we became the kind of go-to people for artists who want to come to Dubai, to Dubai yeah. deal with Dan and the guys and do Sundance, and then so um. You know, roll on four or five years, we brought some of the biggest acts. Yes, you, know, to, you to, did. To, yeah. to, to the, to, in the world, to the region, you know. So, um, you name it, we had them, and um, and then the budgets were getting bigger and bigger, and there was more people coming to the events on a more yeah. regular basis. You know, at one point, I think we were peaking at like fifteen thousand yeah. on the beach, and um, you know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I think they were only legally allowed maybe twelve or thirteen. Exactly. <laughs> so, I, I, we know we were over yeah, capacity, yeah, yeah, but yeah. so <laughs> kind of, you know, so it was a that was that was a great time, and then. You know, I still hadn't even moved to Dubai at that point. I you were still kind of still doing the. I was still back and forth. I came oh, to every awesome. event. You know, okay. I, I, you know, I got paid for doing it. Um, you know, out of my own money, even out of the money I, I earn, I paid for my own ticket. Usually, sometimes okay. I blagged a ticket or yeah. you know, whatever. But I would come to every event because I was booking this talent, and and it was so important that I was at those events. Of because course, if anything yeah. went wrong. The agent or the manager, the first person they're going to call is me. You know, like Dan. Well, you know, what's going on? Anything happens. We booked the yeah. killers. No, well, it wasn't the killers, but you know, whoever it was, Calvin Harris. And um, you know, what the hell happened? His rider wasn't right. This wasn't right. His room. So I kind of made a point of being at every event and flying into every. I'd fly in Thursday night, land Friday morning. We'd do Sandance Friday night. I'd have Saturday on the beach, and fly back Sunday morning. Fair and enough. I'd, I'd do that kind of on a regular basis. Yeah. You know? And that way. I could speak to the tour manager when they're out here and the artists and I got to know the artists and I just kind of babysat the whole, pro- yeah. the whole process you know um, and then um, you know that kind of Sundance came to an end uh, for various reasons because they're building a new annex to the hotel so we lost the use of that whole part of that the beach that space yeah so then um, we kind of all the events moved down to Nassima Beach which is like 
you know, a quarter of the size of Sundance. So ever since then, I've been booking the artist for Nassimi Beach. But after Sundance finished, it kind of opened us up to do our own events. So of then course. Greg and Tim, who I was working with, um, formed a partnership with another company, and um, we start to do a, a lot more of our own headline shows. Where, whereas before, any talent we got, we kind of had to by default give it to Atlantis. We then managed to then, you know, do promote it ourselves or find backers to promote those shows. You know, so we did Ed Sheeran, we did Drake, Michael Bublé, uh, Gary Barlow, Lionel Richie. Um, He's know, a roster. Huh? So these are roster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did we did all those all those shows, you know, and and even with Ed Sheeran, I took him to Oman. I did India. I did Qatar. You know, mm. I kind of managed that. All. So it, Sundance came to an end. Closed, closed, closed that chapter. It was great for us because then it enabled us to do much bigger and better things on our own without that pressure. But I still yeah. managed to maintain my position at Atlantis to book all the DJs for the Simi Beach. So, so yes, I mean that's that's been you know that was a whole another chapter to my my, my ta the yeah. talent booking side of my yeah. my career. So I've, you know worked with some amazing artists and you know just to sort of bring Ed Sheeran to Dubai and tour him around the region. It's it never been so, done before. No, no one had done that. No, yeah, of no. course. So yeah. I wanted to. Have, um, Sorry, just before we we move on, because mm. um, this kind of comes out a lot in our episode, especially when we talk to artists. Mm. Um, this question of a tour circuit. Yeah, I was gonna that in the region. Mm -hmm. So what you did with Ed Sheeran is kind of playing on that aspect. You think that's where it needs to go? Yeah, what we can do. The, the, you know, the market's there for sure. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, three years ago, four years ago, Qatar was in a healthier space. Oman was a lot healthier in terms of like the amount of expats and the yeah. amount of people going to shows. Um, you know, with oil and gas the last couple of years, those markets have taken a hit, but they'll come back again. So Ed Sheeran came at a perfect time where we, you know, it was a perfect time. The the audience and the market was there for him. He was on the cusp of just breaking through on a whole different like stratospheric level. Um, and then we took him to India, and that was an amazing experience. And so, I, I've not been able to do that successfully since. I've, I've a couple of acts I brought to Dubai, maybe done in one mm. one other market like Qatar or just Oman. Um, but that will come back again as as the markets pick up, and and generally, yeah. the, you know, they those do. those countries pick up and they all goes. It's all cyclical. Um, we'll be able to do that again. But yeah, I mean, that's if you can make it work, that's great. With with touring parties of because obviously the weekend here is Thursday and Friday. Yeah. In India is Saturday and Sunday. If you get it right and time okay. it right, and you've, you got, can, you've got a band that is not a massively intensive travel party, if you've got like fifty people traveling, you're trying to put Rihanna or Beyonce on the road with like fifty to ninety people traveling. Wow. I think with Drake, they brought eighty people. You just logistically can't do like four shows back to back and transfer mm -hmm. all that kit and all those people. It just it's just not. But with Ed Sheeran, I think there was fifteen people, so we were managed to just like bang, 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 you know. And I think he had a day off in between, so we got it really, got it really, um, we got it spot on. So that was a, that was, you know, that was a really interesting phase, you know. And um, yeah, I don't want to label the talent stuff; that's kind of the day job. But it's, you know, hopefully I've helped change the landscape. Yeah, you know, here, definitely. You know, the amount of acts that I booked and brought to Dubai, and I'm not one for blowing my own trumpet, um, but you know. When I look back, yeah, I made, yeah. I definitely made a mark. I've definitely made an impact in that in that space, and um, and so that's that's really a, a proud achievement, you know. Definitely, you know, there's always been a, the map, you know? a specific artist that you've wanted to bring and still trying to bring out here. Not really. I kind of go with the flow. There's no real agenda. It's kind of yeah. I know it sounds like a boring answer to, to a, a, <laughs> a, a very good question, but not really. You know, you know what I get. A thrill from is bringing my kind of heroes and the more hip hop stuff 
that like so you know if you said oh you, would, you want to bring Jay-Z to, it's like yeah, I mean, you're like, all right. Yeah. Abu Dhabi <laughs> brought Jay Z is fine, yeah, but I'm I'm more interested in bringing the kind of the more underground here is the, the mm. guys that I sort of so Soul DXB and what I do for Soul yeah. DXB is kind of really where that's my my personal passion. So is. what do you do for Soul? Just coming back to the circuit, what one before oh, yeah, I come back to Soul because I you like make, how you I like how you know where yeah. you've left your conversations and where you <laughs> no because something back. just came into my mind. Okay. Oh, that's about a question. But what you're saying about the circuit, what I've tried to do, more importantly, is make Dubai as part of the, tour, the global touring the global circuit, tour circuit. Yeah. not just the local touring circuit. Mm. But I've tried to educate artists and managers and agents at the big companies like William Morris, CAA, um, that Dubai is just another date on their tour circuit with a flight. So let's say an artist is doing a UK tour just see Dubai as another UK city because there's so many British expats here or Western expats just see it as another day but yeah we've got to factor in a couple of days travel and a couple of days and, and some flight costs yeah. because they have to be covered but don't try and rip this country off yeah. with ridiculous fees thinking that, that, that you know gonna... it's paved with gold because yeah you know it isn't and times are tight and people are tightening the belts and, and yeah there is big money to, to put into shows and people do come along and, and will put big money into shows and not care if they lose it that, that wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world but by and large that's not a productive way to sort of look at it you know so we're trying to educate so now if an American artist isn't touring Europe and it's in a, a cooler month where we can do a show then bounce them straight to Dubai or yeah. let's do three or four dates so I, I kind of I've kind of looked at it as a more global touring circuit rather than a regional tour, touring circuit and mm-hmm. if you if you then hone in on, on the Middle East then yeah I mean there is a there is a, a then a kind of micro touring circuit yeah. to be had as well if if the conditions are right so I just want to wrap that bit up and yeah, so yeah. coming back to Seoul um, yeah I mean that's that's been one of the best things that's 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 happened to this town um and one of the best things and and rewarding um events that i've been involved with i mean from when i first moved here i think the first soul was shortly after i arrived um i can't remember who they had on the first year uh, when the i first came soul? three no not first soul three years ago oh. mob deep was yeah two years ago two years ago let's get was last year mob deep yeah. was the year before that i can't remember who they had on the first year who was it? Was it 2014? I wasn't here. No, was it Run DMC? DMC was on. No, that was the Mob Deep. No, year. that was the same night as Mob Deep. Yeah. Um, look, for me, you know, being into sneakers and hip hop yeah. and street culture yeah. and music and all that, it, it kind of that was the one thing, you know. Yeah. And I'm glad there's only that because I haven't got time to be involved <laughs> and go to all these other things. So that's just one time in the year that, that d- just does everything. For it just every, it ticks oh, all the boxes, you know. It's a, and, and year on year, I've kind of I didn't I don't think I booked anything for them for the first year. I could be wrong on that. I can't remember. My memory is terrible. But the second year, for sure, I helped. Um, in, I interviewed DMC for yeah. his Adidas activation, and that yeah. was just like you know, I'd met him once before a long time ago, but it was a dream come true. He's one of the bands and the acts that I grew up on, and I remember on my fifteenth birthday buying Run DMC's first album, and then to and then all these years later, <clears throat> thirty, um, <laughs> having that same record, that same vinyl, yeah. literally the vinyl that I bought on my that on my fifteenth birthday, the same record, and having him sign it and oh. and, and interviewing him was a was a real moment. Um, it was great so you know and then having Mob Deep who I knew and yeah. I'd work with I didn't book them um, but seeing them and Stretch Armstrong and Bobito who are my radio heroes from my radio yeah. days yep. uh, and then and then from the year after then Soul properly asking me to like help them you know curate some of the talent and they had this UK theme and I managed to secure Skepta for them and we brought Stretch Armstrong and Bobito back again and Clark Ken another DJ hero of mine yeah. 
and then to, and then to, was really exciting for this, me. Yeah, this yeah, past was, soul was. It was great. And it, then, yeah. And then was, for Kish, who's my old radio yeah. buddy from the UK, to come yeah. over and to be asked to actually host a radio show. So I was like, booking Skepta, interviewing my heroes, doing the radio show, which is my passion. It was just like you know. Yeah. You, you wish it could last a week, but it's right. over in three days. Yeah. And I didn't really I get think to... That was, it was really exciting for us because, <clears throat> on one end, we were sharing the booth with you mm. and uh, Stretch and Bobito, and then in the evening, you're watching these DJs and you're watching these artists and you're like, oh, yeah. I used to hear about you when I was a kid, yeah, you know? Like, yeah. you get really excited and you're seeing them and they're there and you get to hang out with them and they're just walking around like anybody else at Seoul, you yeah, know? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, it was crazy. So, I mean, I, I went on Stretch Armstrong and Bobito's show when they were on the radio in the first in their first incarnation, so this is like 96, 97 in New York, I was a journalist for a magazine called Hip Hop Connection, mm. and we'd go to New York regularly, and that's that's in the days where there were hip hop labels like Raucous, yeah. Yeah. who would pay for your flight to go to New York, pay for your hotels, pay all your costs, just to sort of fly out to New York, interviewing Company Flow or Most Def or yeah. Talib Kweli, so and we do the story and come back, and and you know we went we did a feature on New York radio, we went on a number of different radio shows, and. Um, we went on Stretch Armstrong and Bobito's show, and um, to then, so many years later, 20 years later or whatever, uh, to then be interviewing them and be interviewed on their show. In Dubai, it's just, it, it's, it's surreal. I, honestly, it's totally surreal. I can't even put it into words. I mean, it's like, sat there just thinking, What am I doing this here? Is <laughs> insane. You know, yeah. This is insane. I mean, and, and they're freaked out because they're in Dubai, yeah. and it's like Dan from back in the day, and here we are, and, and I'm freaked out because I came on the radio, and they were my heroes, and they so, inspired me to start so a radio show. It's like future you. Do you know yeah, what I mean? You're like thinking of past like, you and yeah. future you. No, it really and... was crazy. I'm not even, I can't even. I can't stress it enough how yeah. crazy it is. Like you know, it's to be all these years living in you know the UAE and doing this crazy stuff, and then you know, so yeah, bringing the big names to Dubai is is great and it's fun and it pays the bills. Um, but it's moments like that that are like this is this is it. This is, just, this is, this is unbeatable. This is and it's only going to get better. You know, yeah, and that's definitely. The amazing thing about it, you know. So. What is it about hip hop? Because I find it very interesting how deep your love for hip hop is. Mm. Um, where where did this where did the love affair start? Like how did it start? It started at the beginning of hip hop. I mean like you yeah. know full transparency. I just turned forty six, right? You don't so, look it. And fabulous. Yeah. yeah, so like, you know, when did hip hop really start? I mean, yeah, you can look back and you look you see all the documentaries and late seventies, early eighties for sure, like the early eighties, but you know, yeah, the block parties were going on and you could say it goes back to the Latin Rascals in the early seventies. But really, like that kind of culture, yeah. b-boy culture, graffiti, yeah. hip hop, DJing, breakdancing, the whole thing, all that kind of thing that goes with it. You know, probably late seventies, early eighties. You know, when I I was born in seventy one, so by the time I was ten years old, um, you know, Sugar Hill Gang was out. It was a, it was yeah. a hit yeah. record. You know, one of the still to this day is one of the biggest hit records. So I was like ten years old. So you know, you think when you were ten years old, you were listening to commercial radio and. I don't know who was big in your life at that age, but you know, you certainly at that age you have an awareness of what's going on. You're watching TV. We yeah. used to have the show called Top of the Pops in the UK, and the Sugar Hill Gang are on Top of the Pops, and yeah. it's the biggest show in the. And so, mm. like, it was impossible not to be exposed to this, to the culture, crazy like art form, and and it was captivating. You know, yeah. as much as like maybe grime might be captivating to this generation, or to or drum and bass or dubstep might. Yeah. You know, if you were like, if your musical awareness. You know, kind of came into its own at a time when a subgenre like dubstep kicked in. You know, that's that's your whole reference point. He was like, that's "Yeah, it. it was never as good as when dubstep first came out." You know, whatever. So, I mean, I was there when you know, you know, Sugar Hill Gang, Sugar Hill Gang came out, and um, and breakdance culture, and and you know, and um, 
graffiti. I, you know, I, I've done everything. I, I, I'm terrible at breakdancing. <laughs> you know, I could never do. But you it. gave it a shot. But you gave, gave it a good go. I never really applied myself very well to anything. I was kind of a good all, all rounder. Yeah. But breakdancing, I sucked at graffiti. Uh, I sucked at. I'm not a very artistic person, you know, in terms of graphically. Um, and and D, DJing was the kind of thing that, that I got into. That you, you know, excelled at. And plus, my parents had, you know, a record collection. You know people that are yeah. listening can't see but it's maybe that much you know let's say there's, let's say there's 100 records in the house 100 yeah. vinyl records we had a turntable so my I, as long as as long as I've been alive I remember we had a turntable in the house okay. you know literally a vinyl turntable and a, and a cassette deck and an amplifier That's so I, every day you know since I was a kid I'd see this equipment and then suddenly as I got an awareness of music and you know I'd, I'd kind of you know play with this equipment and um play my dad's my mum and dad's records my dad was into like the Beatles and, mm. and my mum was into more like R&B music black R&B so like Booker T and the MGs yeah. and like classic okay, soul yeah. and you know and um, and so I kind of had both ends um, of the spectrum really so but the thing that just really grabbed me was, was hip hop and rap you know yeah. just, it just it, it, it exploded you know you know you hear you see all the documentaries and all these things you watch these days and you know the get down and they're you know explode that's what no, yeah, yeah, yeah. It exploded, like you know, it took over the world. I mean, it's you know, and everyone's like, it's the classic, you know, scenario. It's not going to last. It's just a fad. It's just a phase. But That's you know, decided, and, yeah. and we went. I live for all that. And then, whereas a lot of people went into dance music around the sort of eighty-seven, eighty-eight, when like dance music really exploded, I just stayed with hip hop. Yeah. So I just kind of, mm. I never got into the dance music thing. I never DJ dance music. I never went to dance clubs. I was always in the hip hop room in a dance music club, mm -hmm. and I just stuck with hip hop right the way through. It's just something that just, it just I fell in love with it, and I, I dedicated my entire life to it. And and so those little moments I cherish, like Soul DXB, where you know some of my heroes yeah. are get to come to through. And and yeah, I mean it's 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 just one of those things. It's been like a constant in my life, you know. Yeah. How was that growth um, for hip hop in the UK at that time? I mean, and coming into I think you leave it because like that's something that is, I feel like is a story that needs to be told somehow where you were you, you stuck with it that was that was your game that was for you hip hop spoke to you you fell in love yeah. you stuck with it but so you you witnessed that growth mm -hmm. and you were you're part of it so you know talking to you now like when you look at it in hindsight how is that growth like yeah I mean I grew with it I mean I went through every cycle that hip hop went through because as, as, a, as a fan, you know, mm -hmm. I went from you know Sugar Hill Gang to um, you know sort of the electro music phase um, through to Run DMC through to the conscious awareness phase, Public Enemy, Jungle Brothers, Tribe Called Quest, yeah. through the NWA gangster rap phase, and 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 the UK was never far behind, you know, the US. You know, whatever was happening, even I can even equate it to like buying records you know I'd go to the record shops you'd buy imports mm -hmm. and the imports would be shipped in pretty much every day someone would fly in with, every, with, with, yeah, with vinyl with vinyl from New York you know the oh. latest releases so two days later we'd whatever hot record there was you had access two days later the stores in London would get it and then maybe three days like a day after I lived in Leeds which is in the north of England not far from Manchester we'd get it maybe a day later so it just took a little bit of time to filter through so you were really far behind then you no like, no no it was literally yeah we were like minutes behind really you know whereas now with the internet and in this age you're, you're not five minutes seconds, later yeah. you're nanoseconds behind yeah. whereas then we were like but we were like two three days behind and then 
there wasn't the internet so all you could the only way you could learn about music and what was going on in the culture was through magazines mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. magazines like the source magazine and those used to come in as well yeah which only really came about in sort of like the late 80s 90 yeah. like 1990 really the yeah. source blo- uh, boomed so we'd like buy the source religiously that's where we got all our information from there was no other way to get information apart from to read the source yeah. if a rapper died you read about it a month later in a magazine yeah. you know it's like yeah. you, you, there wasn't that instant kind of unless somebody called you or whatever or told but, you <laughs> just like and so so journalism became a part of all of this absolutely, how absolutely yeah. uh, well how yeah how did you become a journalist oh because, well, well, well yeah, I, I mean, mean you were DJing obviously you had yeah. a, you have a deep love for hip hop <laughs> and but not many people kind of want to tell those stories in, sure. in that format so sure. what is it about you you feel that made you want to curate or, 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 or tell um, those stories well I mean my, my first love is radio so my first actual I would say contribution yeah. towards music was radio so in like 1986 87 I did I, I did my first pirate radio show okay. so pirate radio in those days in the UK I'll come on to the journalism it was a natural progression the pirate radio thing in the UK, there was very few radio stations nationally or regionally that were playing rap and hip hop. Yeah. It was just specialist shows. John Peel, very famous. We'd get our fix. We'd we'd find out what the latest imports were and records were because he was he probably had like record scouts that were going to Groove Records in London, and he, you know they would bring him the best rap records. Yeah. And he probably went into the record stores himself, and I'm sure he had records delivered and given to him. So we'd listen to John Peel's show, and and he'd play three rap records in his show, and it'd be like, wow, you know, that's the thing. Tim Westwood was very local then, so Tim Westwood was only on lo- on, on, on London on, radio. Yeah. London radio it wasn't anywhere else. There was a there was a um, a, a radio presenter called Mike Allen, mm-hmm. and his show was syndicated around different regional stations around the UK. So we'd listen to Mike Allen's show, and that was between like eighty four, eighty five, and eighty six, eighty seven, sort okay. of around about then. Um, so we get a feed, uh, our fix from from that. So you know, and then and then I'd get um, I go to London. Like to the record stores in London and to the clothes shops. There were very few clothes shops that were selling like kind of hip hop yeah. kind, of, kind of attire, which is a struggle <laughs> everywhere. But yeah, I think it's a global struggle. Yeah, now you just go on eBay and yeah, you can yeah. get whatever you want. But, but but then it was like you can get it, you know, to get sneakers or back in the day it was troop troop jackets. You know, <laughs> um, I don't know if you remember those or even heard those mentioned, but there was like certain things. Um, and I remember going into the, the, these clothing stores on Carnaby Street, very famous shopping street in London, and. Um, there's a store called Four Star General, and we go downstairs into Four Star General, and that's where the store was, kind of in the basement of this kind of like general goods store. There was like a little little market stalls within a big yeah. store. You know? Now, 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 Carnaby Street is a is a lot more commercial, and and you know it's kind of well, it's been it's, it's cool high street, you know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's like you know. So um, I'd I'd have it like a dictaphone. I mean, look at this like device you have it's amazing but back then we had, had this like dictaphone with a little micro cassette in it and Ooh. I would and they'd have a boombox yeah yeah so <laughs> they, they had a boombox in the store literally massive like boombox and they would be playing like tapes from DJ Red Alert um, and you'd record it on yeah, your dictaphone exactly, yeah, exactly. there so you I'd, go so I'd record it and that's the only way I could get it I'd record it on my dictaphone and then and then I don't know how I did it but I converted the Dictaphone tape onto like a, a C90 cassette, a, a like a normal cassette, cassette. Yeah, my uh, dad had one of those converters, yeah. so it had it was a converter with a little section, and it Ooh. had a wire that went into the probably. Main. I can't yeah, remember how I, I did I, it. Yeah, yeah, I totally. Yeah. I, yeah, but I didn't know you. You. Yeah, so you I, dictaphone the hell out of. So I would, I'd go in like you know with like like tons of these little dictaphone tapes, just stand there in the sh- in the store and record DJ Red Alert on, on Kiss FM in New York. This is around eighty seven, eighty eight. <clears throat> 
and those the records that were played on those shows on those tapes that I've got to this day are my favourite records. So um, all right, so coming back on track, so I would I'd record these shows, and that's when I fell in love with like rap radio. Like, yeah, DJ Red Alert to me is my hero. Yeah, you know I did, and and because. I only rec- I only got to sort of record the Red Alert shows, and he was the, pretty much the best hip hop DJ in New York radio then. And there was Chuck Chill Out, and there was Marley Marl and Pete Rock, and all those guys. But those are the kind of my earliest reference yeah. points. That was the first time. So after that, my passion for radio was just like off the charts. I just all I wanted to be was a radio presenter. I wanted to. I loved the way that he would play the records, and he would get the drops from the artists. Hey, this is Q-Tip from a track called Quest. Blah blah blah. It was then my dream to get on radio, to be a professional <laughs> broadcaster, and to do that. And and um, and so I started doing pirate radio in Leeds, and it was very illegal. And if you got caught, you got like severely reprimanded, arrested, equipment oh, wow. confiscated. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was a big. Deal. My my mentor Barry Kirsch mm. was telling me about. Yeah, I mean he'll know all, all about. Yeah, that, Barry sure. Barry was telling me he was like he and he <clears> says it in his like really you know. Darling, you had away. no yeah. idea the things we yeah. had to get up to to get away. You had to, from you know. <laughs> we, we, I, I DJed on a station called Dream FM in Leeds. Before that, there was a, a station called Lethal FM. Yeah. The owner was. I um, think Empty and the guys were on Sapphire Radio as well. Who? Uh, yeah, Freakers, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, Empty, yeah. Nico, and that. Absolutely. Well, Kiss FM, the whole Kiss FM brand started as. Yeah. I mean, there was Kiss FM in New York, hmm. but that was a nickname for what was actually WRKS. They had these kind of call letters yeah. in, in, in America. Um, so yeah, so and then Kiss FM became an imitation of that in London. Then that became a legal station. But yeah, but so I did many pirate radio shows in very dingy, horrible houses, in bedrooms, <laughs> in bad areas. Um, you know. But did in, that add to the flavor? Well, I didn't, even think, I didn't even think about where I was going. If my parents knew where I was going, they'd freak out. But I did not even <laughs> think about it. All I wanted to do was go, go and broadcast and, it, and yeah. play music and share music. And it was nothing to do with the ego. Yeah. Nothing to do with I want to be the next so and so, so and so. So it was like I just want to these records that I buy. I want to play them and mix them and broadcast them and and educate people. I and, love and, that. You know, because that, that's, that's what the I did. deeper calling. Yeah. That's the greater and the calling. And nothing and will stop you. Yeah. When you're younger, when I say younger, I mean like when you first fall in love with this whatever it is, a culture, mm. a movement, or whatever, there's it literally you um phase out all of the things that could go wrong because you're just so called, so driven yeah. to like do this thing, right? So I'm really, really like I feel like okay, he doesn't he didn't even think about he was going into a place where he could probably get really hurt. Yeah. Probably get mugged. Probably, you know, you're For just sure. going probably into might not make it back he just wanted to he just wanted to give people music, man. <laughs> that's all he wanted to do. Right? I think that's pretty I think that's pretty amazing. It, it, yeah. it was it was you know, it felt like the most natural thing ever. Um and that, and that was my whole world, you know. So doing radio was um, my whole raison d'être. It was, uh, you know, I, you could have, I could have died then and be happy. You yeah. Know? And then, um, yeah. but then my radio career sort of went on even further, which was which is amazing. So, um, but anyway, doing those early radio shows, you know, you know, I was talking about records. I was kind of, hey, this is so and so by so and so, and it's on so and so label, and it came out last week, and it's this, and it's from this album. You know, I just naturally yeah. spoke about the music. So. To go into journalism, to come back to that question, um, was a natural progression. My friend, a good friend of mine, Andrew, um, he's a journalist and an author, and Andrew Emery in the UK, and he um, he's a proper journalist. He's a proper writer. Did a you know you know did a degree in. Uh, he's schooled and stuff. He's schooled, he's schooled and schooled. You know, <laughs> classically trained in journalism, etc., yeah. etc. Um, so he's written some cool books, and you know. Anyway, so he was um, a journalist, and he 
his dream again was to write for my, like me on radio his dream was to write about the music yeah you know? And so I was a byproduct of his passion to write about it, you know. I see. He never became a byproduct of my ra passion for radio, unfortunately. So it wasn't reciprocal. It no, was no, just, no. It I don't was think a one-way one street. Way yeah, he, I mean, we, you know, he joined me once or twice, but um, but certainly him writing for a magazine called Hip Hop Connection. Yeah. Uh, Hip Hop Connection was the first hip hop magazine monthly in the world. It was before The Source or any American magazine. Believe it or not, it was the first dedicated rap magazine in the world. Wow. So he was writing for Hip Hop Connection? Well, we... What, or you it, both? It started in 87, and they used to have this... I can't remember what it was. They used to have this letters page. Ah. Or, or like, you know, classified. Yeah. It's like, so you'd write and you'd go, Hey, uh, my name's Dan, I'm from Leeds, I'm into Public Enemy and NWA. Anyone, you know, want to sort of exchange tapes with me or something like that? And you'd put your, you know, address wow. in there and everything. And so they... I can't, for the life remember off the top of my head what it was called but um connect connections or something hip-hop connections I, I don't know anyway it'd be um, great to find those I was gonna kick, i'm gonna kick myself but anyway so we you know i didn't write into it maybe i did he andrew drew definitely wrote into it and kind of wrote uh like letters in and yeah. i think he's still got clippings of, of those things and um does he because i'd love to see them yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so so similar to me like recording these these like radio shows you know by whatever means i could tape them you know he would then he, later on in life as he, as he graduated from university and and and, and what have you with it, with his um degree um he'd write hip-hop connection say hey i'm a budding journalist i think he certainly wrote in a couple of samples of you know his, his writing work, and, and, yeah and uh, and they, they took him on and he became like the, the absolute backbone of that that magazine you know, and then wow. he brought me in. Uh, so, who to was the well. genius that started this magazine? I can't remember the, the original editor's name, but but the editor that really took it onto the, the next level was a guy called Andy Cowan. Okay. He was the editor for many many years, and he was a good friend of ours, and and still is to this day. More so with Drew. So Drew wrote in and and kind of you know, and then you know, I said, hey, can I write something? Maybe I can write a column. You know, because I was I was buying a lot of records and what yeah. have you. So and I did, you obviously so had, had the music not like a, a, you had you exactly, had something yeah. to say. Exactly. Um, I was into radio, um, and so I wrote a column called Independence Day. Okay. And it was focusing purely on independent record labels oh. um, coming out of that time, probably about ninety four, ninety five, when mm. you know it was the biggie era. It was the biggie era, the puffy era. Yeah. You know that kind of that kind of stuff was coming out. But as almost like a backlash to that, there was a real kind of fledgling, you know, but thriving um, independence zone where, yeah. where, you know, guys could like afford to press up 500 copies of a record and put it out there. And it might be like a little weird group in, you know, out of Minnesota. And then there would be stores in London that, that would buy like 10 copies of them just by oh, writing by a phone. Or, and just, yeah, you yeah. Know, even before email. Even, email yeah. wasn't even No, really. you had to call up. And this, getting you access to these records yeah, meant yeah. a lot yeah. more. Than so I was really into that kind record. of, I was really into that backlash hip-hop movement. Yeah. You know, so I was really into that. And um, and then I was lucky enough in a, in a former job, I'd, I'd, I'd traveled to America a couple, of, a couple of times. I went to stores in Chicago and I'd go to New York as much as I could. And we just buy, we just buy everything because every record that came out was great there was no, there was very little sh and 90 10 you know ratio ratio of like great greatness <laughs> versus like disposable what do you think i don't Why? know because just people were so hungry and, and and the creativity see hip-hop was still growing you know yeah. now it's kind of gone in all sorts of directions but um hip-hop was still evolving there was there was eras and styles and and and, and subgenres that hadn't been done before. Now, kind of everything's been done. Anything you hear now, 
has been done at some has, point. Has been know? affected or has been... It's in, been influenced, yeah. yeah. Where everything yeah. then was new, 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 new. For like 20 years, it was like everything was new. Every era, everything every phase, exciting. every record. Yeah. Super exciting to be part of that. You know, we saw everything from, you know, like say, come up to the Sugar Hill Gang to like Run DMC to Eric Bean Rakim to like a Tripod Quest, you know, whatever. Pete Rock and Seal Smooth and to Notorious B.I.G. then to, you know, you name it, we saw it. And everything was new. Everything was different. Everything, nothing, everything had... It hadn't been done before. Yeah. Breaking new ground. It's experimental fresh. at the time. Huh? Everything's experimental. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Just totally. trial and test like different sounds, and everybody wanted to do something exactly, new. Yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah, I, I, you know, I was really into this kind of, this kind of sub genre of like independent, like you know, music that's coming out, and um, and so I wrote this column, Independence Day, and would just write about this kind of these weird little kind of one-off releases I mean I remember some of them went on to be really big bands like Jurassic 5 oh wow like Jurassic 5 they they pressed they were called Unified Revolution I think Unified Revolution or Revolu Revolution mm. they pressed like you know 500 copies I remember it was on a yellow label no one had heard of them and then Mr Bongo is a very famous record store in London got hold of maybe 50 copies and then said hey guys this has literally flown out of the door it's amazing we love it it's kind of got that old school aesthetic and people yeah. love it would you be willing to repress 500 just for our store so they repressed that record on blue vinyl blue label literally just for as a store as exclusive a store for Mr Bongo yeah. and then bang they flew out another 500 or 1000 and, and it was a, it was a very exciting time. So I had to write about all that kind of stuff and all the stuff that was going on. And, and, wow. those kind of, and then eventually, the Source magazine actually started a, a column called Independence Day. Oh, you know, d most definitely after mine. You know, so um, so they just yes. went ahead. Yeah, they yeah. didn't come up with a new title. They didn't yeah, yeah. bother. Yeah. 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 Oh, no one reads that little magazine <laughs> in, in the yeah, UK. Yeah, exactly. Like we're, we're, we're call it anyway. Yeah, yeah. They won't they notice. Just, they maybe. literally <laughs> just took your name. That's ridiculous. Just to, so that, that's how I got into journalism. It was like a natural progression to radio. Talking yeah. about music and everything, and I'm kind kind of getting put on. I got an in through Andrew uh, and start to write, and I, we wrote for them for many years. And um, you know, he used to write pretty much, you know, two thirds of the magazine. I would write maybe like the odd column and a few bits and pieces. But then I start to write features. So how many were you? It was you and Andrew. There was there was probably about you know fifteen twenty contributors, but okay. there was like three or four staples like, you know yeah. and then there's an editor actually there's probably like ten people that regularly contributed I was certainly one of the regular contributors um, and then you know we at that time as I say you know it was you know TVT records uh, everything from TVT to Raucous you know there was there was money in it you know because it was before the digital era there was you know physical people buying CDs like, and yeah, records selling like Raucous would sell you know most deaf universal magnetic or something I don't know how many it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be outrageous to say that you know they probably sold 50,000 copies of that 12 inch alone you know mm. you can't even sell you can't get even get 50,000 streams these days some artists you know these these guys were they were shifting massive units yeah there was a lot of money coming in it was a global phenomenon mm -hmm. the distribution network was was strong there would be fat beats in New York there'd be fat beats in Amsterdam there'd yeah. be stores in Japan that would buy 5,000 copies of one record just to have that one exclusive it was thriving you know before the digital era you know and um, it was an incredibly exciting time and, and we kind of captured that entire moment uh, the main thing we really captured and and and, and um, what's the word um, kind of what, what became ambassadors of were like raucous records yeah, yeah so raucous like most of quali yeah. R.A. the rugged man company flow you know all the artists in raucous we were there at that time I would I would we would even go to New York they would pay for our flights 
why we were there they'd be like hey we're really overstretched would you write would you mind would you guys mind writing a press release for us you know yeah. so we'd be sitting in our offices um writing press releases for the label and we were wow. kind of we were really immersed in that whole thing in the know? whole yeah. thing yeah you know um you know we'd be we'd be in there there'd be like artists coming in and out of the office um you know you'd be just in there and then Talib Kweli would walk in or whatever or we'd be in there with Jarrett and Brian who were the owners of the label and kind of in their office just seeing how that we would right that environment there, you were that in moment, that space yeah. you know we'd get really um, <laughs> on, on, in, in, in the kind of on the balcony out there it was happy really happy really really really, really, yeah. really happy we had some really happy <laughs> there was moments where I was so happy and then we'd be in a conference room interviewing um, I remember interviewing LP from Company Flow, who now is definitely was now is um, Run the Jewels. Yeah. yeah, Beast. Damn, Beast. I was so happy, <laughs> I couldn't even talk to the guy. And I, was like, <laughs> I couldn't even get my words out, and he just thought I was a, you know, he, he put it like, who is this guy, this journalist from the UK, wasting my time? I just couldn't even string a sentence together. It was that kind of vibe. Yeah, it was like it was a moment, you know. But and I it, think I think that's part of. I sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. No, but, no, no, no. Um, no, I was just saying like when that that was like that was you know the era the, the culture's version of rock and roll it it was exactly, it's exactly what I was just about to say it was rock and roll yeah it was a real rock and roll moment you know we'd you know we'd we'd be there and be like okay right guys go with um, Devon who's the PR girl you're gonna she's gonna drive to Brooklyn and you're gonna meet um, Mostef and then Mostef wasn't it was just it was a new artist it wasn't like oh it's most deaf legend no, it was or Talib Kweli yeah. these were just the next guys coming through they, they had great records wow. we were fans but we weren't it wasn't like oh my we just drove to Brooklyn you know we met them they drove us around to a few spots we went to their bookstore they owned in Brooklyn at the time this was just normal it was just we were just doing it yeah we before it became of, a spectre of uh, anything and it then it became just, yeah. you know a huge phenomenon yeah. and um most Def became Most Def and Talib Kweli became Talib Kweli and Farrah Munch became Farrah Munch but wow. I remember one time we were outside Raucous and um, I was chatting to Most Def this range we were on Broadway where the Raucous office was this Range Rover pulls out pulls down yo Most yo Most guy gets out of the car it's Q-Tip oh wow, oh, wow. so Q-Tip so Q-Tip and Most Def were talking there and, and Most is like this is Dan from the UK he's a journalist so we're just chatting <clears throat> this other dude gets out of the car it's Leonardo DiCaprio who's oh. rolling with Q-Tip in the Range Rover <laughs> what and like, uh, but even then you didn't have a, see what's no, funny did you no. have an, this is an absurd moment it was kind of like he was he was a star then but okay. not like he is now you know, was he like, like uh, what's eating Gilbert Grape a star I think or it was, was he like then. was he know. Titanic a star <laughs> I don't know I think Titanic I mean, was not, he Aviator what year, a star what year, what year was Titanic I can't <laughs> remember I have no I, I don't know I don't Ta- remember Titanic yeah, yeah. I mean I, he was, I think he was post Titanic okay, he was definitely so it was worthy he was definitely he was a big you know I'm terrible but I mean it was him then but then you're still there with most well, he, well, he, him and him and him and him and uh, Q-Tip were friends, you know, yeah. have, uh, famously friends, you know. So they were just running around New York in, in their range. Well, what then, I think, what I think, <laughs> but even then, he didn't have. Maybe you didn't seem to have this. Like this is an absurd moment until like when you're nah. you're sitting at Seoul and then you're like, yeah, we were we were living it. We we're in the moment, you know. Yeah. It, was, it was. Don't get me wrong, you know, we was immensely exciting to be to be there and a part of it we knew something was happening but the, it's like you speak to anyone oh what was it like well, we were just doing it you know it sounds cliche but it's you know, yeah. I've been saying I feel like something's happened to mark this in the history of thing things and <laughs> ting tings in the universe <laughs> um, 
I feel like the ground's rumbling under us, and I don't know what it is. And I yeah. feel like and that's we're the going beauty to... of when you're in the moment. When you don't know. Moment, yeah. You don't, you don't know, know what's happening. But something is happening. You only know what you're part of it. Yeah, maybe in your wisdom, Dan, you can kind of figure, Mr. Greenpeace, you can kind of figure out what it because I've been sitting in this off in this in the sound in the sound studio, and I've been thinking, and I've said it many times. I feel like we're in the middle of something, and I just don't know what it is. That's why. That's why I can almost say, with and I know what I'm going to think when I look back. I know we're in the middle of something and things are happening, which is great. Yeah. So anyway, that was a really exciting time. So that kind of answers the um, the journalism the question. Journalism then, the, question. then the journalism then went circled back into radio. Yeah. So then you know. We used to, in, in between the hip hop, in tandem to the hip hop connection days, and doing all that, and we did some great stuff. Um, hip hop connection eventually kind of, you know, f- uh, phased out, um, fizzled out. Why? Um, uh, finances, things weren't selling, you know, mm. um, it was the, in, the beginning of the internet age. Okay. Um, you know, like anything, even the physical formats, you know, the CDs weren't selling, records weren't selling. You know, so in tandem to like doing Hip Hop Connection, I had a record label. Um, was I doing radio? I was just starting to do radio. I started on XFM in 2000. Was that um, Kishkesh? <clears throat> Kishkesh came a little bit later, okay. but not far off. So I had a record label, had, I was doing XFM, made proper mainstream radio, like yeah. specialist show on a big mainstream radio mm-hmm. station. Uh, we were doing Hip Hop Connection. We had a fanzine called Fat Lace Magazine, okay. we, which we kind of wrote. I love Fat the name. Lace. Yeah, I Fat love Lace the Magazine. Name. And there was, a, there was a rival magazine called Fat Boss Magazine. <laughs> you you seem to be getting yeah. punked all, all, all over yeah, the place yeah. when yeah. it comes and to then, titles. And then, and, then, and then coming back to um, the guy who took the Independence Day thing, he ran, um, you know, he was the editor of, of a magazine called Ego Trip, a very famous, uh, mm. I don't know if you've heard of Ego Trip. Yeah. Yeah. Ego Trip was legendary New York, a New York sort of um, hip hop magazine. So, Again, you had the source, which was commercial. Then you had Ego Trip, yeah. and then they were in New York, and then Fat Lace and Fat Boss were in the UK. And there was a few more magazines <coughs> that popped up. So this whole kind of like amazing independent magazine kind of culture came about, and it was that was a very exciting time. So we were very much in the thick of that. You know, Fat Lace and Ego Trip famously Ego Trip famously had beef. Mm. So coming back to the guy that took my the name for Independence Day, Chairman Mao, who's now like a, a major Red Bull um, ambassador. Ambassador, yeah, <laughs> yeah, major. I mean, yeah. and all due respect to him, we've you know we've we've known each other for a long time. Um, when we, you see each other, do you like give each other side no, eye? No, 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 we, we were, like, is, this, is this like a? Like a, a do you want oh little, my god! Do I'll you give you a little mini nemesis? story. I'll give you a little mini story. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a little mini side story. So you got ego trip. Now we were like cool with ego trip. So we would go to like New York as well as doing features on New York radio and going to Stretch and Bobito, yeah. we'd do little mini features on New York print, you know, so we'd, we'd go and see all the, the print magazines and we'd like talk about all the little, this like whole subgenre and subculture of, 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 um, of print media. And Ego Trip was the one, one of the ones we covered. So we went to Ego Trip's offices, hung out with them. Hey, these guys, the guys got from, they're from Hip Hop Connection in the UK. You know, they gave us all their back issues. We did a little feature on them. And then we started, Fat Lace, which was very much inspired by Ego Trip, but but kind of not far off when <coughs> Ego Trip first started as well. So they were very satirical. We were very dry and satirical, yeah. but in a UK way, which is a lot more. Which is a different. Yeah, it's a completely different feel. Now, like. And also, they were based in New York. So they were very. They were definitely in the mix when it came to like the the, the US New York. North American sort of music industry and hip hop industry. We were kind of in this little bubble in London, kind of protected. Yeah. But when we went to New York, we're kind of on their turf. So we we took our latest copy of the magazine, and we one of our biggest fans um, was a guy called Jonathan Schechter, 
and he was one of the founding editors of the Source magazine, Comes mm. Full Circle. So we became very friendly with him, and he was already legendary because we kind of read the Source magazine. He was one of the founding editors. Yeah. He's a god in that world, for sure, and a very, very intelligent man, Harvard graduate, super smart. Uh, and he kind of loved this kind of quirky British magazine and our mm. humour and everything. He loved our writing. He loved the magazine. You know, he used to... He he was he's quite an Anglophile, you know. He was he was, yeah. into, he was into Premiership football. When Tim Westwood had a radio show, John Schechter would call into his show. Really? Oh, wow. So he was very okay. He, he kind of embraced us, you know. Yeah. yeah. And these other guys in New York didn't like that. They were like, "Hey, you know, this John, why are you kind of why are you why, giving, why are you giving these guys a cosign? You know, yeah. like fuck them. You know, we're doing our own thing. You know, um, so like you know, we kind of created this whole little beef, and then <laughs> it, 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 it came to a head one night. In um, there was me and Drew and Mike. Uh, and um, Pete Cashmore and uh, we were in the club it was bigger it was the first anniversary of Big L's passing mm. so Big L got shot and killed a year before and there was a, a, a club called Tramps I think or SOBs in New York all the biggest names in hip hop were yeah. there everyone was in that club Ego Trip guys were there every DJ was there Stretch Armstrong was there Gangstar were there everyone was there it was a, it was a joyous occasion because all these people were performing in honour of Big L and then what happens we go to the bathroom or we got caught backstage and um, we run into the ego trip guys and they kind of start posturing you know like you know <laughs> what the fuck like you know that, that's, see, that's, driver that's a mild term that's driving two of them were huge they're like six so six they were coming at you yeah no yeah. they were like intimidating that you know but i wasn't there with wait that. wait wait so you were your <laughs> pants down at the urinal like there's rules to this you can't My just be just walk up to somebody <laughs> yeah. the again you were in the washroom full transparency yes please yeah. I was in the washroom. I had a. I, you were very happy. I, I was actually on the toilet. Okay? <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Seriously, I won't go into too much detail on that. No but need. I was. I was on the toilet <laughs> yeah. at the moment. Drew and Pete and Mike. I think it was just Drew and Pete were backstage. They got like confronted with the ego mm. troop guys. I was oblivious. I didn't feel well at all. So I was just like, can't believe I'm in this legendary situation. I just got a cab. <laughs> I just got a cab and went back to the hotel. Oh. I didn't even know what happened. Oh, you know, oh, no. no. <laughs> I went back to the hotel. Then Drew and Pete, the, the rest of the guys roll up about an hour later. I'm, I'm like devastated because I'm feeling terrible at this, mm. at this stage. And I'm missing this legendary event. But I had to, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. I've got to go. <laughs> so I went back to the hotel. They turn up like maybe even half an hour later. I'm like, why, why, why are you here? Yeah. They're like, oh, didn't you know? I'm like, didn't I know what? We got, you know, we we all the beef with the ego trip thing came to a ego trip guys came to a head. They were pushing us around, threatening no. us, and they basically just like just get out. And so, you know, they had to leave what? and just left. And they kind of left with their with their, you know, tail between the legs. Oh wow! <laughs> it was a kind of it was a. So it was got a, aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, it got, it got mad aggressive. Yeah, it was, it was, Wait, it was a, okay. It was, so a, it was a low point. So it was, that way. Was, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, it was like not. A, like a total low point in the career. And yeah, now you're playing the big league. <coughs> it was a low point. We were, we were treading on the toes. So we were like, well, we're doing something right because we've really pissed these guys off. Absolutely. Yeah. So then there was beef, you know. So then there was, we had beef with Fat Boss Magazine. Um, beef with Ego Trip. I've later become, you know, good friends with uh, with, with the guy behind Fat Boys. Fat so, Boys, so who was a guy called, DJ called Jaguar Skills. Uh -huh. DJ'd in Dubai before. Who's, so. who, um, Pete Cashmore? Pete Cashmore, he was a journalist at the yeah. time, so he wrote for, um, why do I feel like I've read his stuff? Where's he now? Where he's, is in, he? he's in the UK, but he's written a lot. You know, he's a quite a formidable journalist. I think I've probably read. He his may stuff, have, yeah. yeah. He may yeah. have, yeah. Um, he wrote a lot for like um, women's titles. Um, that could explain it. Maybe. Yeah, that would explain it. You know, um, he worked for a publishing house that did a lot of titles. Now I know why his name's familiar. Mashable. 
Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I no. don't know what he's doing. I've not been he's into the CEO and founder of Mashable. Is that, or is that no, a different no, that, Pete? No, that's a different that must Pete. Be, no. Because it's the same name, Pete Cashmore. Yeah, but really? that Pete's much younger. That that's Pete's a, much yeah, younger. Yeah, that's, Pete that's, younger. That's a coincidence. Yeah, yeah but, that's but Pete Cashmore, from, because I was from thinking about it, I, was, I would read. Mag, I, I remember seeing his name. Yeah, very, very, so very possible. Yeah, so yeah. he'd say, I, I "Let me been, go dig it up." And see I've not what been I in touch with him for a while, but uh, anyway, so worth worth a reconnection, by the way, because you shared the bathroom <laughs> moment. It seems <laughs> I love the way you came up with that, and it literally was the fact, the facts of the matter. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, that was a low point. <clears throat> we tread on the toes, and we, we, and I think the whole thing came from the, the design of the front cover of that particular issue. We had, I think we had Eminem on the front cover. The one that you brought to, with you to New York? Uh, yes. Okay. Correct. Yeah, Fat Lace, Fat Lace magazine. So we, that was the first ever like, f- cover story that Eminem got. You know, because we we knew a group because we knew his manager Paul so, Rosenberg. So, yeah. so you yeah. knew Paul Rosenberg, and you asked him, and he said Paul yes. Paul Rosenberg. We knew Paul Rosenberg. He was Eminem's manager, but he also managed a, another group who were on Raucous before then, called the High and the Mighty. Oh, okay. And so we knew him from those days. So when he when he discovered Eminem again, M, M was just he was just a new artist. He was just really? like a really dope new artist. He came out with this EP called. Um, Oh, God, was it, the, not, it was before the real Slim Shady album. Um, Slim Shady EP. I think it was a Slim Shady EP. It was before the first album came yeah. out, and, and 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 it was you know we, we, that came out. It was super dope. I mean, we were like, there's there's never been anything like this guy. We knew that that guy was going to be. So you felt huge. you 100%. felt that the moment 100%. you heard him. There was some tone. Hundred percent. Did you see him before you heard him? Um, I, what I'm asking no, is, I'd did you know him. he was white? No, 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 I didn't. You didn't. No, I didn't. Okay. I think. I think maybe on that twelve inch there was a picture of him, so I think we knew, but we never judged because there was a lot of white rappers at that time. The okay. white rapper thing was, was was not. It was a moot point. Yeah, it, 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 I mean, Beastie Boys. It was. It was uh, a novelty. Mm. Um, Vanilla Rice was a novelty. Um, you That's know, interesting because I grew up re- when I when I read <coughs> what, what little access what mm. I, what little I had access to reading about Eminem. Always, I, I noticed how much his race. Play or play like was it in in the way it was written? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I always wondered if you guys had the first cover. Was it? It it must have been truly because of the music, just because Mm. of who you guys are. Hundred percent. I remember interviewing him. I called him up. He was on the video shoot for. I just don't give a. But anyway, that again, that was that was another moment. We were kind of in that moment interviewing him. He was on the front cover. We kind of we kind of we were inspired by the ego trip design yeah. for our front cover, but it was it was a it was a on it was um it was a it was a, a gesture of pure respect. You of know? course it was. We were like we're inspired. We're going to do Thank something. You. Yeah, it was just yeah. yeah but we, but they took it as complete, thinking about like, it now. I look back, it, it looked like it was a rip off. They just took it as a rip off. You know, these guys are coming with the kind of same dry humor as us. Now they're copying that style. They took it really literally and really personally, and it, it blew it all out of proportion. Um, so it was a real shame. So we kind of lost touch with a lot of those guys now. What was the fallout of all of that? Did you? Did you? Did you? Were you guys isolated as no, I mean, a? I think we fizzled out at the same time. I mean, they they lasted maybe seven or eight issues. We did like four or five issues. You know. We, we put them out very regularly in a short space of time. They okay. put them out very sporadically over, over a bit longer. But <clears throat> the output was kind of similar. Um, but they were groundbreaking. We did our thing. Again, we just did our thing. you know. And, and people to this day still put uh, Instagram pictures of, of old copies of Fat Lace magazine on their thing. And like, Sweet. hey, look what I found. And I'm like, oh, it's amazing that people have still got that stuff. you know. So again, it was just, it was a moment. You know, we, yeah. just, we were a moment. The M&M thing was a moment. There's so many little moments. Which were just, you know, when you look back, it just amazing. I remember um, coming back to Eminem, 
<clears throat> I interviewed him. Um, I think I was. I think I was the first. I was. De I definitely did the first radio interview with Eminem. I just started on radio uh, on XFM, and um, and yeah, again, he was doing the show, the one with the chainsaw, the whole thing, that yeah. whole controversial yeah, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. popping pills on stage, whatever. <clears throat> happy pills. Um, he was very happy. Yeah, he time. was always happy. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I, I was there. Um, I went to Manchester. They invited me to Manchester to interview him. We went backstage. And I got literally him one on one time. There's footage of on YouTube. If you look very carefully, I can find some for you of me interviewing Eminem. And I and I interviewed him. It was the first radio interview. And Paul, his manager, was like, you know, who who should we do the first kind of? I can't remember exactly what happened. I th I think, with all due respect to Zayn Lowe, who's an absolute genius and a legend and an incredibly talented, you know, um, individual and um, nothing but praise for him. He. He's done so much for me in my career. Really? Personally. Yeah, for sure. That's a whole other story. But you know, I remember Paul saying, "Like, who who should we do the t who should we give the TV exclusive to?" Yeah. So I got the radio exclusive. Yeah. And and I said, "Yeah, Zane Lowe," because he was on MTV at the time in the UK. So like, Zane, it made sense. Zane did Why the radio not? interview, and I remember again, you know, um, we kind of traded questions. We're like, "What are you going to spit? What are you going to ask him about?" And I'm like, "I'm going <laughs> to ask him this." And he's got like, cool. I'll ask him that. What are you going to ask him? I'm going to ask him that. So yeah, so he got time in London, I got time in Manchester, and then you know, and then I just started on this brand new show on the radio stage on XFM, which is a big independent. It was a, it was a it was part of a major, um, group, the Capital Radio Group, which yeah. was huge. But it was very it was London centric. You could only get it in London, but it was a major radio station. So I think it was we were like five or six shows in, and I got like Eminem, who was the biggest star in the world right <laughs> th at that point, you know, and. Um, I remember I got drops from Eminem for all the presenters on the radio on the radio station, so everyone got Eminem drops. So I was like God for a minute. Oh wow! Yes. So it was cool. But you know, again, it just came from. And by that point, he was like, I think, yeah, well into his first album. Yeah. But we'd already been onto him for like, you know, two years. You know, definitely two years, maybe three years already. So we were kind of already championing him. Yeah. Um, and so you know, we we. Uh, and his management and um, Paul uh, was just very loyal and like you guys support us from day one you're going to get the first I respect that yeah. I have a lot of respect yeah. for that oh, because to this day they got, you know remember they were doing shows in, in the UK like five six years ago and they'd invite me to go along and I'd be right there watching it at the front of house you know watching the show that's they'd legit never, 100% I mean never forget those guys they, they never forget the people that supported them from day one whether M himself actually remembers it's questionable because I was as I spoke to him much later on, maybe five or six years, maybe probably on album three. And Paul was like, "Hey, this is Dan. He was one of the first guys to interview you." Did a little learning. He's like, "Hey, man, you know, just kind of walked off." You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe he was in a bad mood. No, no, he's so in his own world. But I, I respect. He that was on artist, heavier you know, quantities yeah. of heavy. Yeah, heavy yeah things, but yeah, so. I think it was much more like I think it is much more as well. The the purpose of his management yeah. is to manage the people that you know and, the, and be a voice and I think he's supposed to be creative he and was you know again another he played as another key character in my life you know a very inspirational character I remember when I became an artist manager calling him asking for asking him for advice you and, know? and he yeah. see yeah, yeah. He was, the, you know. this is these are these are the moments that I think mark you know beautiful moments in a career these are the these 100%. are the things where yeah. you meet somebody through work and then suddenly this person becomes almost like a guide or a mentor and yeah, helps you do what you do better than you than, you know they I, rem could. I remember when um, I was managing Sway and we went to New York you know we got invited we went on a, Syria, a Shady 45 which is um, I, don't, I think the radio I think it's yeah of course it's still going so we went on uh, I took Sway we, took, we got him on Shady 45 um, and then and then you know we went to the Shady Music Shady Records mm -hmm. offices and 
uh, you know, we had a meeting with me, Sway and Paul. We played Paul new music, and you know, Sway was a huge Eminem fan. And again, you know, they they never forget to this day. You know, those and guys will remember the support. Yeah, you know, and that's what's amazing about this music and about hip hop and the culture. And you get these incredible success stories. You know, these guys that just go stratospheric beyond all comprehension. And these guys never forget, you know, and, yeah. and, and sort of you know, because the, because they knew what it was like to not be stratospheric, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and exactly. you were probably just a part of the yeah, not you know. stratospheric. Like, another, another friend of mine, Mighty Mike from behind the Mighty, you know, I remember M did a track for him, and you know, recorded it in his clothes closet in his in his bedroom. You know, that was yeah. the, that was the wow. record. I remember going to his apartment and saying, you know, when M did that track for our album, he recorded it in that in his closet, surrounded yeah. by t-shirts. You know, because it was the most soundproof part of his mm-hmm. apartment. You know, so these guys. You know, Eminem, everyone, they start from, you know, start from the ground up. So, yeah, again, you know, a bit of a tangent, a few tangents there, but, you know. What a charm life. What an amazing career. Like, what but a, fun, you know, fun. Yeah. I mean, look, there's millions of these stories, you know, but those are, you know, I'm just spurting them out. As, as things trigger things, <laughs> as, as, as you trigger things in my yeah. mind, yeah. you know, I kind of, you know, regurgitate these, these silly stories. But, Do you think, uh, you know, what's funny is that I know um, if we look at kind of your work, you'll mm. see sort of moments of these stories obviously you interviewing Eminem or you writing about something or you saying something on the radio however do you want to at any point document the behind the scenes like the stories that Mm. you just told us like how will those ever remain if you don't somehow encapsulate them I don't know I mean you know or do you care to are they just a part of like I mean this is the perfect forum you know I think so you know this is the perfect forum I think to like and Andrew, who I referenced before, um, he's about to release a book about ah. the, about the story of his kind of formative years. As we used to be in a rap group together, really. Another story. Another story. we had a group together. And, um, well, it, it, at first it was called Prehistoric Ages. Okay. Before Jurassic Five. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you in the history lesson so things. Yes. So yeah. Prehistoric Ages. Before did. the Jurassic Five, very yeah. much influenced by uh, the old school kind of mentality. Yeah. And and then we we changed the name to we wanted to keep the the letters the same P A, um, so we changed it to. I remember we literally sat um, in his bedroom one time and we opened a dictionary or a thesaurus, probably a thesaurus, and we um, were like we've got to keep the same. So we wrote down all the all the words beginning with P and all the words beginning with A that we liked, <laughs> and then we kind of this and this is a whole evening's work, you know. And then we got it down to progressive agenda. Okay. So it became progressive agenda. Um, oh, so he's just written a book about his. His life as a failed white rapper coming back to. Oh my god! And did he call the book "Progressive Agenda"? Yes. No. no the, the book. The book is tentatively titled, maybe officially titled uh, "Wiggers with Attitude." Oh my god! Yes. Yes. Let my, us know. I will purchase. My, my life as a failed yes. white rapper. So I don't mind purchasing it, but I need an autograph copy. <laughs> I would like an autograph it, it's, copy. It's yeah. very funny, but it's 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 um, there are, there are. Uh, it's kind of like footnoted all the way through with like you know explanations about certain things relating to hip hop and hip hop culture and music you know so it's kind of a really fun it's a hilarious read yeah about his life and there's a lot of there's a lot about me in there and our, our life as, as in a rap group uh, but there's, there's, a, there's, a, lot, there's, there's a lot of footnotes about you know it's very informative and, and educational in, in that respect that he's, he explains a lot of stuff in a lot of detail um so this kind of subtext of, of you know hip hop jewels and knowledge that he comes out with. Oh, I love that. Um, that, that. That are not the kind of obvious ones that you would kind of read in normal media, you know. So, where was I going with the rap group thing? Um, why did well, I? Because I, I, I asked you about whether you oh, wanted to encap- yeah. encapsulate yeah. the stories yeah. in any So way. in that book, in that book, there's a lot of the stories that that I mean, he's he's telling the stories from his perspective. Of he's telling a lot of those stories, but I've never really done it before. I've been interviewed a couple of times. 
but not really in, in that much detail um, where I kind of kind of regurgitate all this crap. So, so Great. this is probably one of the first times actually I've ever done it. You That's know, yeah. That this kind is, of happens on the show. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of one of the first times. And it was one of those things we were hoping for too, because yeah. we're getting that. One of the great things, I don't know if you saw the Stretch and Bobito documentary. Yeah. yeah. That's all. One of the great things about that um, documentary is that they, again, similar to us, they had like, these amazing moments where they kind of had these incredible artists on their show for the first time before they were on commercial yeah. radio, commercial rap radio or commercial radio. So... You know, Biggie freestyling. The first time Biggie freestyled on radio was probably on the yes, show. Yeah, One yeah. of the most fascinating stories ever. And he lost. Yeah, they lost the tape. Yeah, but yeah. then his manager at the time had the cassette. Yeah. He had the cassette, and when and it was only when Stretch and Bobito interviewed his former manager or DJ or whatever it was, he goes, "You know, oh, little way. do you know, I have the cassette of that freestyle. <laughs> I re- I taped it off the radio that night, yeah. or I took it out of the studio, or whatever he did." And Stretch and Bob hadn't even heard it, and that was incredible. But when they when they pieced the documentary together. You know, they had these kind of like uh, graphics and visuals yeah. and, and animation. I remember that. Yeah. So you feel that there's footage of Biggie rapping in the studio, yeah. and they do have a lot of footage, but but they never had footage of they never captured that moment, yeah. digitally or analog. You know, Biggie in the studio doing the first thing. You know, this is the last era of of, of things not being you know of, you know captured digitally. You know, and then from. 97, 98, 99 onwards. Always. Obviously, everything, everything. everything was captured, and everything yeah. now. Now it's impossible not to be captured. You know? Exactly. So there's there's a, there's a real beauty of that pre 96, 97 era of like analog, and there's warmth and depth, and things weren't mm. instant. Things weren't captured. Things were um, uh, uh, folklore. You know, yeah. it's, it's um, I think and, that and that's, that's what makes cool. these moments really fun. You know, to talk about them. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's good. Because I was I, one of the things we kind of uh, return to on the show as we interview people from different generations and from different kind of um, parts of hip hop culture is I we look at kids these days and when I say kids these days the ones that are seventeen eighteen like teenagers or young adults and they have this aesthetic that's a nostalgic aesthetic mm. um, oh, that harks back time. to Aaliyah to Biggie to Pac mm. to and I look at it and I I ask this question on the show. What do you know about these people? What do you know about this culture? You had no idea. You weren't even born. Or you were just born. Mm. And so what I'm realizing now, and you've actually just said it, Mr. Greenpeace, is that it is folklore. Yeah, absolutely. It has the same, it has the same kind of tenets of folklore. Yeah. It's all it relative. Docu- it's it is, all, it's it is all relative, relative to yeah. your experiences and when you got into things and you know what your points of reference are. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know... Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's great to talk about this stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. I, apart from people I know, you know, I, I've never really spoken about any of this. Well, thank you and for sharing it with us. I yeah. appreciate it. It's, it's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, for us, it's for for me, anyways. It's a part of what the show, this show, has always been about: yeah. is being able to tell those stories that a fifteen-minute interview could never tell you. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. You know? and, and I think it's for for me. It's also and and the experiences there are moments where do you hear that and you you just. Are in awe of it, of, it, um, of life and yeah, the weirdness like, of, of serendipity, right? And, yeah. um, and like for me, for some reason, this entire conversation just keeps bringing me back to um, this time when I was in New York. I think last minute we found out where Kim had a gig, and my cousin and I were like, "We gotta go." We went down, and I think my cousin and, my, and I were the only ones below the age of thirty-five mm-hmm. in that audience, yeah. even knowing. Yeah, what, yeah. Yeah. When, when was this? Um, this was twenty fifteen. Okay, completely. And it was midwinter, yeah. freezing cold. We're standing outside. Doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. And and the beauty of it was that you were going for Rakim, and then and I never forget this because his watchman, Mister William, 
was telling us, he's like, oh, you're going to Rakim? Rakim never shows shows up alone. Mm. You're you're in it for an experience. I'm yeah. like, cool, let's see what happens. We get we get out there, and then you had Red Alert, DJ Red Alert on. Um, you had DJ Chuck Chill out. Wow. You had Spoonie G. <laughs> you had wow. um, Fuck Master Flex. It was just this. That's insane. It's a group of of names you've always heard and read yeah. about. Yeah, and, they were there. You know, and they're just all there on stage. And Rakim shows a plate, and then Buster Rhymes gets on stage Amazing. with them, and it was it was just a whole moment. And Amazing, yeah. and I remember that because I looked around, and it's just. I am I probably was the youngest person in that room yeah you know and you just you know you're rapping along to the lyrics and people are having a good time and you see this old couple in the back who got a little table because they're out on a date to a rock and concert <laughs> and they're like in their mid to late 40s and it's Amazing. just this whole that, that moment you just realize what you're in the presence of you know and it was, it was great because then it's something that had to be documented whether for me it's just that's it like I, I lived it yeah. I mean right? I'll tell you this I've never met or seen Rak- I've, I've I've seen Rakim perform as Eric Ben Rakim in probably '87 mm. when they used to when they supported LL Cool J. I think it was LL Cool J, Public Enemy, Eric Ben Rakim yeah. at the Manchester Apollo '87. I've never seen Eric Ben Eric B or Rakim since then. I've never met Rakim. I've never interviewed Rakim, and I've interviewed a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's some and and it, and it's fine if I never never see him or interview him because you know. As amazing that you saw that show and Spoonie G, I've never met Spoonie G, and he's one of my heroes. You know, he's one of the unsung heroes of, of rap, yeah, of, rap, of rap music. Yeah, you know, he is one of the. You know, if he didn't have happy problems, um, then and, and go, and go <laughs> to problems. go to Happy Jail, then then he, you know, he would have been one of the greatest yeah. for sure. You know, which is incredible. But you know, it's um, it's amazing to hear you even yeah. say that you were there. Ooh, and, and special Ed, special Ed. There you go. Yeah. Just to hear you say you saw special Ed Spoonie G, it, for me is like someone who kind of grew up on that music and. Yeah. I just love the fact that you saw that, and and you know I've, I've never I've not seen Rick Kim, and I've, he's been to London you yeah. know, a number of times. Yo yo, turn it up, turn it up a little louder. It's your boy Dilla Doll, it's your boy Dan Greenpeace. Turn it up, turn it, turn it, up. it up. This is Big Bang Buster Rhymes, the general of the Flip Mode movement, popping it off from my man Dan Greenpeace, and we doing it live and direct. You heard? You What's heard? up, y'all? It's Guru from Gangstar in the house. This is DJ Premier coming straight out of your speaker, checking out no other than my main man Greenpeace, and we out. Peace. Bird is born. Hey, yo, yo, yo. This is Foul March right here, and we about to get our fingers all dirty and dusty, digging the mix, digging the crates for the throwback joints from back in the day. This foul march, keep it right where it is. Yo, this is the 45 Kings. Yo, right about now, we digging in the crates. Yo, damn, man, do me a favor, man. Drop something real crazy hot, man. Hot, hot. <laughs> 50, 50,000 watts of funkin' hip-hop power. What up, nation? Welcome to your tribe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Please rate and review the show via your iTunes app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your preferred podcatcher. Hit us with those five stars and your comments and let us know how you feel. And if you really enjoyed the show that much, please share it with your friends. Let's keep the word going. You can always catch us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud. We're at The Can Show, and we love talking to you. And if you'd like to hit me up personally on Instagram, Twitter, and SoundCloud, I'm at Reem Hamid. For more information and access to our exclusive content, visit www.thecanshow.com and subscribe to our newsletter. See you all next week. Much love.
Database, no doubt, my click get on the case. Residue, population with this one and two. Yo, the NBA squad be nice at banging artists. They go ballistic, running through your residential district. Tyreek dropped the ship low. That's headed for the streets now. Watch your zip code like drugs. My music turned niggas into fiends. Got your headphones laced like coke and kerosene. I'm busting on your scene like what? My record's selling. You checking the boards? I don't give a fuck. My promo rocked on a seven for a year. Stunk a delicate pier. Residue stand clear for your T minus blast clear nigga sinus writing rhymes and running with the last of the finest. Whoever stepped on stage and simply made two words rhyme, you know it 'cause your crew's hurt. I'm ridiculous. They show like nigga, you serious? Toilet bowl flushing motherfuckers like. Hey yo, there are eight million rap records out in the city. This is not just another one. You know what I mean? What I mean? What I mean? What I mean? Asiatics on the mic and I'm kicking it. Your girl's on my tip. That bitch was licking it like a lollipop. Ain't nobody got gang like me. Yo, I can make your hottie drop. But draws by saying fuck you. What you up to? The Asiatic force. Go fuck up your duck food. Don't make my brew drop 'cause I flip like Tupac and I bust two cops. On new locks and drink two Guinnesses and take the illest piss. I can pop the shit 'cause I'm the illest lyricist with the illest rate. I wanna say suck my dick to that bitch in the village gate who said my shit was whack. I wanna get the gat and simply just stick the brat. Nah, I take it back 'cause that's a broke hole. The Asiatic force ain't no motherfucking jokes. No critics don't get on my case and base with the lyrical ace 'cause I'ma deck you on your motherfucking face. Fucking face, so I can deck you. Bust a rhyme like a bust a nut, but when I bust a cap, motherfuckers duck. So watch out, it's Rick Rock down D, and ain't no motherfucking rapper could wreck me. You think you can? Then run up, dumb fuck. Come on, fuck, get it too. Wicked double thumbs up. I get ten Nubian fingers up, and quit the fuck a pretty boy singer up. If your girl looks good, bring her up. I give her good sex. I'm strapped if you should flex. I don't give a fuck. You bring the illest nigga at me, 'cause I'll get instantly trigger happy. Busting officer, abusing whack rappers like a fucking red Corsica. You want the battle? I hope you got live lyrics. Give me your mic, the crowd, and almost five minutes. Then I will fuck you up, silly. You worth less than that corny ass still Philly that I stole from Papa Kim's. If I ain't dropping, fuck that shit. I'm rocking Tim's. 'Cause Fabo's always searching me. If I got a show to do, ayo, that's a certain G. In my pocket, I never took a loss with my force. I don't give a fuck if my fucking voice goes hoarse. I'ma still turn it out, but give me a good mic, 'cause I hate when I burn it out. Like a fuse, G. I smoke niggas like a loop, C. I hear niggas saying, "Who's he?" It's Rick Rock, Def G. But some call me Asiatic. Ain't a motherfucking rapper can make me panic, 'cause I'm surely live. Step to me. I hope you pack your .45 or your AK, because it's payday. I fuck a nigga up if he even try to play J, because his trash is bad. The mag. I knock suckers off quick like cracks and bags, but don't get on my case and base with the lyrical ace, 'cause I'ma deck you in your motherfucking face. Dan Green, please keep it locked, baby. More the sum of those that come stepping on dumb, they dumb dumb. I'm a little bigger than the ordinary rubber figure. Flip 'em on a solo, 
like a thousand compliments Flowing with confidence Making MCs Solid as a monument As I commence To dent their intelligence The mics are two And the stage is a workbench So rappers better Stand back and let her Go for like me Press on instead of Searching for tricks To try to aim static Like an automatic Word to watch rabbit I'll remain in the same frame of mind Pulling the cards up Foes to keep trying To rip and snatch tax Mix and match poems That in actual fact They don't As I write, recite, and ignite Is original type hype that lights your insight Showing off a superior being My criteria is made for me And you ain't Jackson, Jackson the box I burn a sucker with a billion watts That's enough to light New York up I kick the power on foes who walk up To get with this swiftness It's just a gifted quick wit mixed with a lifted Mic for total vocal enhancement You want a battle to poetic? Throw up your hands if I only your waist And pasted and basted Victory is sweet as I tasted The effect is I rip you to ribbons Wreck you and let you see how I'm living Yeah, yeah, yeah Chilling in the mix with my man Greenpeace. Yo, Peace. Skateboard P, aka Pharrell, and you're listening to Dan Greenpeace. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
finesse D-I-T-C With my man Dan Green P Now I told ya I make a beat that hold ya On the floor make it march like a soldier Right, left, right, left Bust the rhyme Plus the beat is deaf So deaf Let him play it in the nightclub Turn off the bright lights And the light bulbs Girl, I make it move your feet to the beat Rub the record Let him feel the heat to the rhythm I'm cock diesel You're like the picture I paint You're on the easel You're a weasel I'm like a vulture To rap hard on the mic That is my culture I don't have a bald head I'm not Kojak Who loves you baby I'm taking no slack No black bad breath For gingivitis Sucker MCs wanna fight us Get the dog to bite us The message we send I listen to Red Alert On the weekend I don't bend I'm not kissing no butt For no slut I'm dissing whatever punk that tries to front Don't even try to play hard Because I know your card And I'ma play guard Kevin's the messenger Cutting a funky drum Taking you straight To kingdom come Don't be dumb I call him soul man He'll snatch it The boy's so damn good with his hands It ain't even close Hey Kev Give him an overdose What's up, y'all? This is Nas with my man, Dan Greenpeace. I want to wish you well. Let my vocab hit. Send them a postcard and see if they can get better. Or come clever to beat me, no never. Whoever endeavor, I at least you get seven. When you step up to the platform, go. You must move fast. There's no room for the slow. Tempo is fixed at a constant rate. Once, no excuse that you're here with your day. Come show and prove and try to excel. And I'm a wish you well. Big feet of the year, cause every MC I know is out there, so line them up, send them two by two, and every MC out there I run to, but I give you a chance to say what you say, and let your DJ play what he play, and if it is strong, we put the pen on the ink, but if it ain't strong, my hour constantly breaks, I'm giving you a chance to let your rhyme excel, in other words, I'm wishing you well, What's the reason for that? You want a handout or a pat in the back? Slick, slick. Why you on my d***? I tell you time after time you can't fuck with it. Cause it's too strong. Flexibility is here. Cause I could do this and I could be there. I got a schedule that allows me to. I don't drink brute to bring the night through. When competition calls to me, I just laugh. Cause you can't walk safely down my path. But if you want to try, go ahead by means. But things get dark in the round, so it seems that you're gonna lose. But that's what you choose. You should have listened to me in the beginning and refused. I give you my best and hope you wreck itself. In other words, I wish you well. This foul march holding it down with my peace. Dan Green Peace, you know how we get down. Damn, damn. So we can unite and fight against things that ain't right But many times we wind up fighting against each other We play like Cain and Abel when it comes to brothers You know a brother wanna slay me, play me, take me out But tell me what's that all about? You wanna hurt me, hurt me when we're the same A little pawn in another man's chess game While I'm not playing no more, I got my mind straight You can't checkmate the new mind state Self-respect, I respect, you respect Put the ill will to rest and put on your ex Put on your ex, 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 put on your
empty minds Brainwashed, deaf, dumb, and blind Too many die for the cause For me to pause It's time to stand up and be accountable for Cause it's not about the I and the M.E. It's all about family, community, and unity That we've been missing Too many dissing and getting dissed I'm really pissed, so I'm not having it Cause all the talkers all they wanna do is talk a struggle But what you're saying couldn't bust a little bubble We need action, we need change A new game, not just a new name And be the same inside, outside, all around Put your feet on the ground, get your head out the cloud Live your life right, live your life strong Put on the new gear, put your ex on Put on your ex, put on your ex, put on your ex Put your ex on And to all the fathers, don't tell me why bother It's making me mad to see too many young ones That need their daddies, they need that strong man With the strong hand that they can follow Straight into tomorrow And precious mothers, our first teachers Mothers, we want you, and mothers, we need you To mold our future and hold it together I'll always love you, I got my ex on the DJ. You sure, Don? I just thought after Kirky... Hey! Kirky was Kirky. This is this. It's time for all of us to move on, alright? And it starts with booking that DJ. (laughs) 